Welcome, everybody, to the Hockey Think Tank podcast brought to you by the HockeyThinkTank.com, a website for all players, parents, and coaches to go to get a little bit of education and a little bit of inspiration regarding the greatest game on the planet. What an episode we have for you guys here today. Just an inspiring, inspiring human being in Craig Cunningham. And to give you a little intro into Craig, he grew up in Trail, British Columbia, and played five years in the WHL uh, before being a fourth-round draft pick to the Boston Bruins. Actually played in Providence right after our man Jeffrey Lavecchio did. Uh, He went on to play six years of pro hockey, before a tragic accident in his game as he was playing in Tucson for the Arizona Coyotes AHL team where he had sudden cardiac arrest and uh, basically almost dropped dead right there on the ice. Uh, But he has been revived and fought back, fought a lot of perseverance. He actually lost uh, part of one of his legs Due to that incident, uh, he's come back stronger than ever. He is now working in the hockey development field, and this was an awesome hockey conversation. Awesome to get to talk about his journey as well. So before we get over to Craig, though, let's bring on our man, Jeffrey Lavecchio. Vex, what's going on today? Not much, dude. I'm stoked for this one because uh, Connie's an absolute beauty. 100%. What a good dude, huh? Like, just a great man talking to him before talking to him during talking to him after absolutely awesome guy. Um, love, love his philosophies. Like obviously played the game with a ton of heart and balls and uh, yeah, just had, had really like talking to him. I mean, I, I've heard quite a bit about him. We played with a lot of the same guys and uh, I've only ever heard good things, you know? So uh, I was, I was really excited that we got him on and thanks to Shrimpy, uh, Rob who's been on the podcast a couple times and owner of 44 vision for teeing that one up for us. Appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. It, you know, it's funny. Like, so I, I do these introductions and stuff and sometimes it's like really hard to do the introductions because like the introductions have no weight or bearing to how extraordinary some of the people that we bring on in their stories are, you know? So like, I, I almost feel like disingenuine talking about like some of the adversity that he's gone through in his, his career, because like, the guy that he is, as our listeners will figure out as we kind of go through here and, and you get to listen to Cunny, like, I just, I just feel like I don't do people's justice. And like, I, I, you know what I mean? Like I try, but it just doesn't even get close. I feel weird doing yeah. it sometimes. Yeah. I mean, how do you, how do you put, how do you encapsulate somebody's life and hockey career in the eight seconds you do after the <laughs> welcome, welcome, welcome. So, I mean, I don't, I don't think it's possible, but I think you do a good job, Toph. I'm here to pump those tires. Hey, thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. But well, uh, no, this was good. I mean, like we love bringing on people who overachieved and, and asking them about why. Uh, because at the end of the day, we talk about success as being relative. And a lot of what we talk about as success is overachieving and reaching your potential. If you get as close as you can to reaching your potential and you enjoy what you do, that's, that's what true success really is. It's not about the end result of making it. Um, and, and this is a guy, not a, not a bigger player. We talk about that on the podcast um, that had to fight through some stuff. And, and like, it just very inspiring story, even pre-injury, uh, not injury, but pre-tragic <laughs> event. 
Um, and then after that, obviously what he's been able to do, um, and the life that he's leading right now, very inspiring as well. But just, is just, this was a fun one. This is one that you kind of come out of it after a conversation, feeling like you're a better person. You know what I mean? As well, just from a hockey standpoint and a life standpoint, because we talk a lot about both and, uh, yeah, it was very cool to have him on the podcast. Yeah. And you know, like people probably think of him and they think about him playing the NHL and putting up good numbers in the AHL and, but like he talked about not having a goal in 48 games in his first year in major junior in the WHL. Like these are the people I love to talk to because he wound up being a captain twice in the American league and an assistant captain twice in the American league. And I'm sure he wore a letter in the American league a couple more times than that. Cause you know, a guy goes up like an assistant captain or something, they'll throw an A on your Jersey. You still had to earn that A on your Jersey, you know? So he was a captain or assistant captain multiple times in the American league plays in the NHL. And a few short years before that, he puts up a goose egg his first year in juniors. Like these are the people that I want, to get their stories out because so many people need to hear them. So many people see the Connor McDavid and I'm not saying Connor McDavid didn't work hard because you see all the videos from when he was a kid and he was an absolute savage, but like people just think like, Oh, it's, you know, I, I just want to look up to that guy and he's just so skilled and he's just so good. Well, it's like, yeah, but you aren't that guy. You don't have that skill and 99.99999 repeating times a million don't have that innate ability. So you should be looking up to the guys who work their ass off to get where they are. Craig Cunningham's one of them. Cam Jansen, I use him as an example all the time. And guys will laugh in St. Louis who know him. I'm like, hey, yeah, like look at at how, I don't want to say bad at hockey, he played 330 games in the show, but like compared to the rest of the NHL, played 330 games in the NHL. Look up to him and figure out what he did. You know, I know for, for, for a fact, he's first one at the rink in the summer, every single day he's in the locker room in his gitch and no tarp stick handling for 30 minutes before anyone else even gets to the rink in a summer skate. That's a guy that kids should look up to Cunny zero goals in 48 games his first year in the dub. He winds up playing the NHL. He winds up a captain in the American league. He winds up winning a mem cup. Like that's who you should be looking up to. Gonna stop saying all this zero goals in 48 game stuff. <laughs> He's gonna be like, Jesus Christ, all of that Gio did was chirp me. <laughs> no, I agree, man. I think uh yeah, choosing choosing the people you look up to is a very very important decision for sure. And you can make certainly the right ones, you can certainly make the wrong ones as well, um, based on where some other people's paths are going uh as a younger kid. So uh, if anybody chooses Craig and, and you guys will get the chance to, to hear his story here on the podcast, that would be certainly a wise one. And I'd encourage you to go look up because there's been a lot of really, really inspiring articles written about him and, and what he's persevered through. Uh, ESPN did uh, a big documentary on, on it as well. And it just, it's very, very inspiring. And, uh, and so I encourage everybody to kind of go to the Google machine and, and type Craig Cunningham in and, and just see some of the awesome, you know, inspiring stuff that, uh, that he's fought through and, and come out on the other side with. So um, encourage you to do that. And uh, also encourage you to enjoy this podcast. This was a fun one. Do you ever think he says, I'm Craig Cunningham? This is my wife, Oprah. <laughs> I don't even know. What that's Are you from. serious? Austin Powers? I'm Richie Cunningham. This is my wife, Oprah. You don't I remember honestly that? honestly don't remember that, no. Oh, my God. I think that might be, like, the third one. Oh, oh really? 
balls. Yeah, it's a phenomenal line. If I was him, I would introduce myself to everyone that way. <laughs> I can't. Uh, this might I'm be the first one where, what are we, 130 episodes in where one of us did a movie line and the other one didn't get it. Yeah, we're pretty good, but I guarantee you some one of our listeners has gotten it because I get so many DMs and Twitter and Instagram of people being like, oh, I know what that was from. I love yeah. you for a movie like this. <laughs> it's, like, it's literally my favorite part of this podcast. When some, some listener is like, hey, I totally got that movie line. I'm like, yes, I like you. <laughs> that's unreal um well let's not take up too much more time let's get over to uh to craig but there are a couple things that want to mention here first um you know we've been starting to do some collaborations with some awesome you know hockey companies out there and, and one of them that we're doing a collaboration with is icehockeysystems.com and they are a phenomenal phenomenal resource for any coach out there that's looking uh, to better themselves about the game. But also if you're looking for drills, they do such a good job. They have so many drills up on their website. And uh, so we collaborated with them to actually put up a, a drill club page on our website, the hockey think tank.com. Um, and we've also placed those uh, videos on YouTube. So thank you to ice hockey systems. They're a phenomenal resource. Um, go to ice hockey systems.com today and also check out our YouTube page for some of the drills that we've put together and uh, doing a little contest. So if you go to our YouTube page and uh and you go and comment on it uh we will actually the first couple people that do it we will send you a hockey think tank shirt and oh, so snap. a little shirt giveaway um so yeah thank you to ihs um and then head on over to our youtube page and, and check it out uh the other thing is we'd like to thank our title sponsor gel sticks g-e-l-s-t-x.com get your way to training aid sticks today thank you to train heroic jeff's very clean and easy to use training app where he has all of his awesome exercises and workouts on there and last but not least and most importantly thank you to the listeners we so much appreciate what you guys do for us uh if you can if you think what we're doing is a positive value add to the hockey world Please help to share uh, share us by leaving us ratings and reviews on Apple Apple Podcasts or iTunes or wherever you get your podcast today. Uh, share us on social media if you can. Shoot us some messages and we'll interact with you on social media as well. Uh, we so appreciate all of your support. You guys are absolutely going to love this conversation with Craig Cunningham. So without further ado, let's head in on over to Craig Cunningham. We are so excited to have on this episode of the podcast, he's in the beautiful city of Phoenix, Arizona right now, Craig Cunningham. Craig, how you doing today, man? Hey, guys. I'm doing pretty well. How are you? I, uh, weather's starting to, to change here, and uh, we're getting a little relief uh, from the sun all day, so it's, uh, we're looking good if this COVID lasts any longer. Uh, you know, it's, uh, we're, we're heading into the good months. We made it through the tough months. Uh, <laughs> It's like COVID, you know, what can you do all everything outside? Well, it's 125 degrees, so you don't really want to be outside. So <laughs> it's uh, looking forward here to the next couple of months if this, if this uh, keeps up to, to get into some nice weather in a, in a different situation. Yeah, so while you're going outside, we're going to be stuck going inside. <laughs> so enjoy it. Enjoy it. Bask in it. So, uh, well, good, man. Well, hey, what we like to do at the beginning of all our podcasts, just to introduce you to uh, our podcast listeners and, and our audience, is just take it way back and, and talk about how you fell in love with the great game of hockey. And you grew up in one of my favorite cities to go recruit in, in beautiful Trail, British Columbia. Seen a few games in the Beaver Valley Nighthawks Arena and also uh, had a few coconut 
Japanese at the Best Western right there, and any college coach that's uh, that's listening to this will, will, will understand that for sure. Um, but talk to us a little bit about how you got into the game, how you fell in love with it, and uh, and uh, what were your experience was like out there in trail. Yeah, man. Um, so, yeah, I mean, trail is, uh, you know, they, they uh, not just a little bit of a humble brag here, two world championships, 1939-1961. So, uh, you know, a ton of rich hockey history and trail. Um, so with the smoke eaters and all that. But uh, you know, for me, you know, the game was in, in, in the summers, you know, you, you play baseball or soccer, and in the winter you play hockey or you ski, you know, and uh, somehow I – Ended up getting on the ice. Um, my mom was the one that kind of, you know, helped me fall in love with the game. Um, brought us uh, public skating. If you've been to the, the uh, trail arena there, you, you see two different sheets. There's a there's a big sheet where the smokers play, and then there's a small sheet um, where it's about minus 36 in there. But um, kind of grew up skating on that rink. Mom was uh, teaching me and my two brothers how to skate and um, just kind of uh, fell in love with it. The more and more uh, I got the opportunity to do it and, um yeah, again, just, uh, you know, when you're, when you're from a town like that and, and in the winter, it's, it's one or the other. And, you know, I was lucky enough to get introduced to hockey and, and fell in love with it. Uh, shortly after I learned how to not fall down every couple strides. <laughs> That's good. And there is a rich history there in trail. You got a few NHL players that have come from there, but it's also a huge baseball town, isn't it? Like you mentioned, you played baseball. There's been some pretty good major league players that have come out of there too. Yeah, man, J- Jason Bay, the the pride of trail. I mean, uh, we I wasn't any good at baseball, so there's a when I went to play junior in Vancouver, we used to play softball all the time uh, in training camp before things, and uh, the guys used to call me Jay Bay. Um, the only uh, the only thing that I had that represented him was the Portland Pirates uh, baseball cap because I sure as heck couldn't hit the ball very far. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. It's funny how like Canadians, like they love the Canadian ball players, the Justin Morneaux of the world and the Jason Bays and stuff. They're like, they're like legends up there, huh? Yeah, they are, man. They, uh, yeah, it's like, uh, we're, we, we produce a lot of hockey players, not so many baseball players. So anytime, uh, you know, Canada gets, uh, gets a touch in any of the other uh, leagues, it's, uh, it's pretty cool. I mean, it's funny to think, uh, you know, where you grow up and, and the environment kind of, dictates kind of what sport you're going to play. I know that's changing and stuff, but to see uh, guys come out of there and especially, you know, trails, 10,000 people, you know, one of the best baseball players of all, you know, Canadian baseball players of all time to come from there is a pretty, pretty cool experience. And, uh, you know, the town is a very, very supportive town. I mean, they, they like, they are very, very supportive of their own and, and to watch guys go on. And, uh, it's like, they don't forget, you know, it's like, yeah, you, you go to Safeway and you're walking out of Safeway and it's hey Craig, you know, some like some guy that you knew 15 years ago that oh, I watched this game or what do you think of this? And, um, yeah, just, a you know, just a community that really supports its own and is very faithful to its own. That's really cool. That's really cool. You mentioned there that you went to play your junior hockey in the WHL out in Vancouver to start. And it's funny, like I was looking at looking at it and Jeff and I have talked you know, a lot in this podcast about how year one of juniors isn't, isn't so nice sometimes, and it could be a tough ride and, and you learn a lot from years, you know, one to two, two to three, and however many years you go by. And you had a really interesting start to your junior career. You're a young kid going there uh, and your team ended up winning the Memorial cup. But for a guy that's gone on to play in the NHL, he actually didn't score any goals in your first year of junior hockey. So wanted to ask you about that because I mean, Jeff and I've been, you know, it's we, my first year of junior hockey is the hardest year of hockey I've ever had had in my life and we have a lot of kids that play junior hockey that listen to our podcast so how did you kind of take that year 
in two different ways. You know, one, it was a learning experience that maybe not having the success that you were used to having. Uh, but two, also being able to win a Memorial cup and be around this really good culture and, and stuff like that. So if you can just kind of enlighten us a little bit about that first year for you. Yeah. Um, it was a very difficult year, obviously, um, for me playing wise. Um, I, I was very nervous. I, I, I just, I wasn't comfortable on the ice. I, I, um, you know, I had no confidence. I, I was scratched 24 times. Um, I never scored a goal. So, um, you know, it's like, uh, confidence for me always came from repetition, you know, and having success, right. And past success as well. I, I barely had any successes that year. Success for me that year was getting in the lineup that night. Um, so it was, I, I, I truly believe that, you know, I was lucky enough to be brought into, you know, a, an incredible organization with, with great leadership and, you know, being able to be coached by Don Hay and, you know, the general manager at the time with Scott Bonner and um, just the, the culture of the organization, the players we had um, were, were huge. I mean, I learned, I may not have, you know, shown up on the score sheet very much that night or, or, um, you know, produced or, or, or contributed, I guess, in, in many ways, but man, did I learn a lot just being there every day. I learned how to be a pro man. I learned how to practice hard every day. I learned how to be a good teammate. I learned how to be on time. Um, so when I got to junior or sorry, when I got from junior to pro, um, you know, it was kind of like a little bit of a relief where I'd already gone through the process and learned in junior, you know, what the transition is going to be like. So, um, outside of, um, you know, uh, no goals and, uh, 24 scratches and, uh, uh, you know, maybe a bit of a loss of confidence was, you know, gigantic for, for my personal development. And that, and that's unreal, Craig. And I was I was very similar in my first year of juniors. I didn't get scratched 24 times, but um, I probably should have been. And uh, I was honestly, uh, I wasn't ready to play that year. Like I just physically was not mature enough to play, um, even though I made the team and I wound up getting injured. But like that was Tof and I have talked about it recently, and that was a very very tough year for me. And I know that a lot of junior players listen to our podcast. I train a lot of junior players who are kind of going through that type of uh, you know new thing for them. They've always been the guy when they were younger. So were there any? mental tricks or anything you did to, cause there's guys who like, would be like, I don't even want to go to the rink. Like I'm not playing. I'm not happy. Was there anything you did to get over that, to be able to battle through that year so that you could set yourself up for success the following years? You know what, man? Um, the, the, I mean, first of all, the coaching staff and the, and the players, you know, they, they were just incredible, you know, like they were just, they, they took time with me to skate, you know, after practice, before practice, work on different things on an individual basis. Um, and, and the players were, were very, you know, like the culture there was like, it didn't matter if you're a 40 goal scorer or if you played in the fourth line, you played eight minutes tonight, like everyone mattered, you know, and I was lucky enough to be, you know, part of that culture, I guess that, you know, even though you may not be scoring and that you, you still felt like you mattered. Right. So so that stuff to me went a long way, but I, I mean, I remember having a lot of conversations with my mom. I thought, man, I don't know if I'm ready for this or this and that. And um, I just came, kept coming back to like, man, what's a, it's a privilege to be here. I'm, I'm 16 years old and I'm, I'm playing in the best league in the world at the time that I can at this age. And, um, you know, just given an opportunity to, to live in Vancouver and to build and to, to be around all these great people. I mean, it was, there's definitely days and times where I'd call home and like, call oh, man, like, you know, maybe, maybe I came too early. Maybe I'm not ready for this. And my mom was always super supportive. She's like, no, no, you made this decision. And, you know, you, you've never let a hurdle get in front of you before. And, you know, don't worry about that. Just stick with it. So it was kind of a combination of like, you know, I wouldn't say I had anything specific that I used in my own 
you know, daily practice, um, you know, mentally, but it was more just about the culture and the people that I had around me that, you know, gave me the belief that I still, you know, I, I still mattered and I, I was still part of the team. And, you know, again, even though I wasn't scoring or anything like that, that, you know, when I played, I, I still contributed. It's so true, man. Like the, the people you surround yourself with is so, so important. And to have the people like that, like your mom and, and like the people you talked about within the organization, I mean, it's just, it's just everything. And then I think the best part about it is that like you learn that as a younger guy and you understand and, and you appreciate how important it is. And then once you get to be one of the veterans or one of the older people on the team, you know, you pay that forward to, to the next rookie that's coming up. That's away from home from the first time and, and all that kind of stuff. And that's why I feel like junior hockey is such a great experience for kids. And I think playing two years of junior hockey is way better than playing one. Um, just because you get to do yeah. that. Like you have that first year where you have to just kind of get thrown in the deep end and figure it out. And it's the, it's, for a lot of people, it's the yeah. hardest jump <laughs> going from midgets to juniors. It's probably easier to go from juniors to college or juniors to pro than it was going from midgets to juniors. So, um, you know, did you kind of feel that responsibility a little bit? And you played a few years of junior and stuff and, and got the chance to be a captain and a leader. Um, did you feel a responsibility to pay it forward after that? A hundred percent, man. Um, I, I just feel... You know, honestly, like, especially now my career is over and you just kind of reflect back, like, you know, it's truly a privilege to get the opportunity to play. Like, you know, it's, it's obviously an extreme privilege to play in the National Hockey League. It's a privilege to play junior hockey. I mean, there, there's, you know, I, I think guys have to start thinking about that. Like, a lot of guys are in junior and they just can't wait to get out of junior. Well, I can tell you right now, the best years of my life uh, were in junior hockey. I mean, you get that camaraderie with the guys, all that sort of stuff. So, I mean... I could have easily gone into a culture where, you know, it wasn't like that, where I didn't feel like I mattered, where I felt like I didn't fit in. And, uh, you know, cause I wasn't scoring goals or playing big minutes, like, you know, that I didn't have any respect to my teammates. So um, just having that from those guys at that young age, you know, just giving me the confidence, like, okay, I still matter, you know, even though I'm not scoring or contributing necessarily at, you know, at a high volume on the ice, I still matter to the team. And, um, you know, that, that kind of stuff that I learned at that age was just embedded in me. And then as you get older, you know, when you see young guys coming in and struggling, like, you know, it, I, I mean, I felt like, yeah, it is your duty, but like, I love doing it, man. I, it was something that like, you know, people helped me. And I always felt like, wow, man, if I didn't get the help from these other players, then, you know, I might not have ended up where I am. And, you know, now that I've been given that, it is time to pay it forward. Right. And now maybe I can help the next guy, um, you know, get out of a hole. Like I felt like I was in the time. So, I mean, I, I'm a huge believer in that everything the game gives you, you should you should be giving it back in some, uh, you know, in some situation. I love that, and I think Tof and I kind of personify that too. And we were probably, I don't know if Tof Tof you played like every game in the USHL. He played in the USHL as the youngest guy to play at the time. He was like eight years old playing in the USHL, but, uh, I wasn't eight. So, I just, I was just had the height of an eight year old. <laughs> you had the body of an eight year old. Yes. Yes. But, and, and Tolf is one of the best leaders I've ever known. Um, not just saying that cause he's around this podcast or because he's my cousin. Like I truly believe that. And I think that, you know, I, I've heard nothing but good things about you, Cunny. And I think that the best leaders have to be followers first, like they have to go through that struggle to, to, to like, to have that pain, to know that when they're teammates, when you're the top guy or you're the older guy, or you're the veteran and you're good to being successful, things are a little easier for you. You remember what it's like 
to be the guy in the bottom of the totem pole. You remember what it's like to go through those, those streaks, five games, 10 games, 40 games or whatever it was for you without a goal, you know, and then you kind of, you want to help that guy. You're like, man, I wish somebody would have helped me when I was in that spot or somebody did help me. And now I want to give back to that next guy. And, uh, I, one of the guys who I know is on your team there was Wacy Rabbit, who's one of my best friends in the world. I played with him <laughs> on like four separate pro teams. So how was he? To, he's been on the podcast as well. So how was he to you that year? Was he a good guy or what? Yeah, no, he was, man. Uh, guys, guys called him my big brother, man. When he came, I think he came back. He played. He started the year in Providence. They sent him back to Saskatoon. We traded for him at the deadline, if I remember correctly. Um, but yeah, he, he was great to me, man. He, uh, he kind of, yeah. I mean, people call him my big brother, man. That's hilarious that you uh, bring that name up. He, you know, he came to us and it was just kind of like him and I just had like this chemistry, you know, and he would, you know, take, you know, away from the rink, he'd hang out with me, he'd come pick me up at my house. Obviously I couldn't drive at the time. We'd go to Tim Hortons for coffees or I guess at that time I was probably drinking hot chocolate at that age. Um, but <laughs> yeah, he was great, man. It was, uh, you know, again, man, I, I can't, I can't stress enough how lucky I was to be in, that culture at that age and, and to learn from all those guys. Uh, but yeah, Wace, Wace was a, a hilarious guy and, and, uh, you know, took me under his wing and, and, and kind of showed me the way a little bit. That's the best. That's the best. He's an unreal guy. I love hearing that. I'm sure he's going to listen to this podcast. So what's up Wace? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Cuddy, the other thing we got to, I got to ask you just, uh, you know, anytime I can get a chance to kind of barb my, my co-host here, I'd love to take it or at least, you know, try in, in some way to do it. So before we even got on here, we were talking about how you kind of got into Providence, uh, as your first year pro right after Jeff had left and, uh, sounded like there was some kind of laughs. Sounds like he was uh, kind of a popular guy out there. So what, uh, you know, what, what kind of stuff did you hear about a one Jehu Jeffrey Lavecchio, you know, when, uh, well, when you got there, <laughs> I'll be honest. It, I'll be honest. There was no uh, on ice uh, stories, but uh, <laughs> it was all in the locker room and how good of a teammate he was and, and how fun of a guy he was and just just nothing but great things to say about him as the person. I will be honest. I didn't hear too many stories um, about any big goals or or anything. <laughs> <laughs> there, were, there were enough of those. I'll tell you that. There were not enough. <laughs> well, I wanted to br- I wanted to bring that up because I wanted to ask you guys. You know, obviously Boston's been a model organization for probably the last decade. If they're not the top, they're probably in the top three in terms of what they've been able to do and and developing guys and and being a, a winning franchise for so long here. And you guys got a chance to play with a lot of the core pieces that have gone through in this I don't want to call them a dynasty but like this this team that's had so much success so Cuddy I'll ask you first like what was it about your experience in Providence I know you played for uh, Bruce Cassidy as well that uh, that you learned there that you think is kind of the reason why they've been able to be so successful over the past decade or so yeah I I, I truly believe it I mean the culture there I feel like that word is used a lot culture but just just the way, you know, you felt like you're so proud to put on that, you know, even Key Bruins jersey, right? And so proud to be a part of that organization. I just, I feel like right from the top down, um, they do everything the right way. They're good people. They have high standards. They brought in the right leaders. Um, the culture is phenomenal. They do a great job with developing. Um, so to me, it's just like they, they, you know, like a lot of teams or organizations I think have, you know, certain pieces of the pie that, that are extremely good. And, you know, maybe some other pieces where, you know, you don't have the full pie. I think 
Boston, um, in my experience is just like, you know, they, they, every little piece of the pie there is covered and, and they, you know, they don't leave any stone unturned. Um, but again, I, I think it all comes back to leadership. Um, you know, I think right from the top of that organization down, um, in the hockey operations department, the leadership is extremely good. And then they brought in the right pieces to, to, to build a culture with inside the locker room, right? It's one thing to have leadership and culture, um, from the top down and, you know, in the hockey operations department. It's another thing to have that extreme leadership in the locker room every day, right? And for them to, you know, pass on that message um, to the younger guys. So I, I think it's a combination of all those things. But to me, it comes back to they just have all the right people in the right places. Yeah, I would I would totally agree. And they were really good with bringing in like skills coaches and and. Uh, at the time, the assistant GM was Don Sweeney, and he was down in in Providence quite a bit and giving input to the guys and, you know, from the training staff, athletic trainers to the strength coaches, like the rink, the locker room, like we were definitely taken care of really well, especially at the time when I was there, like that was before like teams were getting like supplements after games and everybody has norm attacks. And like, like we didn't have that stuff, but like we were taken care of so well for, for, you know, 2009 or whatever it was when I was there, 2008, I don't even know. And um, you're, you're right. Like they definitely, I don't know, recruit, they definitely sign players that have character. Um, and they aren't only about guys who just put the puck in the net or back then could only fight or could only do this. Like they really like went into your character and went into your background. And I was told that like, they asked so many people about me before signing me. And I just, obviously that's so important. And now everyone talks about culture and, and it is so important, but I, they definitely had a great one when I was there. Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent, man. They're uh, to me, they are the, they are like you said that you know, if not one, two, or three, they're they're in the top three for you know, like just to have success for this long, to have that 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 core piece or that that core tandem together, right? That group of core players, like, um, yeah, I can't say enough good things about that organization, man. What what a privilege it is to put that jersey on and play in TD Garden and share the locker room with those guys. It was, um, yeah, I, I loved every second I was a part of that uh, organization. Very cool. I'm ready to like strap the skates back on again. <laughs> I feel like I want to go play hockey right now. Um, well, well, Connie, one of the other things I wanted to ask you, and, and we've had other guys on the podcast, like we talked about this with Marty St. Louis. We've talked about it with Brian Gianta and a couple other smaller players. I was a smaller player myself and, and you, um, you know, kind of on that same wavelength, not, not the biggest guy in the world, but you've been able to do some awesome things in this game. And uh, not many people listening to this or not many people just in general have been blessed to be able to, you know, be over six foot one or six foot two or whatever it is. So, you know, for a lot of the people listening, even for me myself, like, what do you think smaller players, like, how can you separate yourself as a smaller player from the crowd? Because you do have to do something special or you do have to have a a different element to your game to be able to, to get to the next level. Right. So what, what is that for you? And and how do you feel like you were able to make it at, uh, at your size? Well, I mean, for me, I think there's, there's three things like, you know, I, I guess for me personally, the reason that, that I was able to make it, I think which was solely on my competitiveness and solely on my, you know, my effort level and, and how bad I wanted it. I mean, I, I think honestly, like, you know, obviously you have to have skill, you have to be able to do, you know, the, 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 you know, puck play, you have to be able to skate, all that sort of stuff. But like, to me, my competitiveness and my energy was, was what got me through. Um, I, I think, Without that, I wouldn't have had a chance. I mean, I was, you know, I was very skilled in junior. I had 97 points. I was the runner-up to Jordan Everly for, for player of the year in the league. 
Um, you know, and I can barely scratch the surface in the National Hockey League, right? So it's like, it's such a, a, a step, right? And, and it's such a speed game to me. So like, I, I think I was able to make it on competitiveness in my motor. I mean, I just didn't stop. I, I think for me, and then when I look at it, you know, scout, scouting wise, or, you know, from, from this angle now, I, I think there's, there's three different things. I think it, it, it's competitiveness and the smaller players. Like you look at the small players, man, that are, that are so successful now, like Brad Marchand and, and, and these guys at Braden Point, like they know how to use their body to buy time and space, man. They know how to cut off hands. They know how to own lanes. They know how to get D on their back. They know how to manipulate defense and speed, right? So like knowing how to use your smaller frame against bigger players to give yourself an advantage. Like everyone thinks like, oh, I'm undersized. I'm at a disadvantage. Like you're not necessarily, man. There's, there's different ways you can use your body to, to set yourself up to have more success against the bigger players. Um, and then I think the third thing is, is skating, man. It's, it's guys that, that can really, um, you know, I think it's one thing to be quick, right. To have quickness and, and stuff. But as a small guy, I think you have to have that second and third gear separation speed. Um, so those to me are the three things I think now scouting in, in hockey operations um, that I would look for. And, and, you know, obviously for me, it was, I think strictly on my competitiveness and, and, and kind of motor. I've talked about it on the podcast before. I played I played with Nate Gerby in juniors, and then I played against him in the American League. And like his his smaller stature helped him. Like he found a way to just like play the game, and maybe it was natural to him or whatever. But like it was so hard to hit him. Like the the way that he played the game, and he like you just said, he had that second and third gear. But like he would almost suck you in, wait for you to get really close to hit him, and then it's not like he would duck or anything, but he would like take a stride and roll his body in a certain way. Where because he was shorter, like and guys at that time, you know, almost everyone's like six feet, six two, whatever. Like you would just bounce right off of him, and he was absolutely yoked. So it's like. You can find, you can find a way, you know, you can find whether it's, you know, you're like you said with Marshy, like he's so good and tight and creating time and space. Gerby's really good down low because he knows how to like roll off and use his strength. Like, you know, it's Tof, like Tof just found ice. Like Tof is probably the same height as Gerby. I think maybe, you know, like five, five, four, I think maybe they call him five, 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 six in the program, my man, five, six. Oh my God. You're not even close to five, six. That is a tremendous lie. Yeah. But it's in the program. And if it's (laughs) on the program, then it's true. It's in the program. So that's but like, you know, Tope just found ice. And so you can use it to your advantage. Like, like you said, you just got to figure out how, how to use it to your advantage. Yeah, exactly. That's, and, and I think like, I mean, the one thing every undersized guy in the NHL that has success, they all have in common outside of the skill set is their compete. I mean, those guys, you know what I mean? Like every single one of those guys, like, you know, Marshy might be stronger on his skates than, than brain point is. And brain point might be better at this specific skill, but every single one of them is a five out of five competitive. And to me, any guy that's undersized in the NHL that is successful is, you know, if they, their competitiveness is, is what actually, you know, put the nail, you know, in the wood for them. Uh, you know, you can have all those skills and all that, but without the competitiveness, I don't think it comes together like it has for those guys. It's so true. It's the little man syndrome, right? It's that the half, <laughs> like the, the, the willingness to have to fight your way to, to get what you 
you know, to get what you want. And uh, I, that's what I like to call it because you're at a disadvantage in, in a lot of different ways by how other people look at you. So you have to take it upon yourself to make it an advantage. And I always agree, like going into corners, I would love when I would go into corners with big guys and just make one little juke one way, go the other way. And it's like, whoop, whoop, whoop. Cause they can't, they don't have the agility to be able to keep up with you. So, um, I always, I, I love what you say, the competitiveness, like, I mean, that's for everybody, but I, I love, love, love watching smaller players with an engine that just keep coming and keep coming and keep coming. Cause I do think, you know, you talked about Boston, both of you guys about a character kind of thing. You know, I think that's huge. I think when you have that kind of motor and you keep going and going and going, at least in my experience, most of those guys are typically really, really good dudes too, because <laughs> they're just, they're passionate yeah. and they care and, and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and so, uh, I love that you said that. And, and, uh, I just, and, and as a scout too, when you see that, you just, you salivate over kids like that. <laughs> <laughs> yep, 100%. So, well, good stuff, man. Well, uh, the, the other thing we wanted to talk to you about, and, and obviously is a little bit of a, a tougher part of your career because you have a career that ended way too short. And uh, I think a lot of people know the story about uh, what happened to you when you were playing in Tucson, uh, you know, a few years back where you collapsed on the ice and, and uh, had sudden cardiac arrest. And that was uh, obviously a tough spot where people didn't even know if, if you were going to survive it. And uh, you had some amazing doctors that I don't know if they brought you back or, but they say they basically, they saved your life for sure. Um, so yeah, know. they brought me back. I mean, unfortunately, <laughs> Oh man, that's absolutely crazy. Yeah, that's, why, that's why I get some, uh, every now and then when I get some verbal diarrhea on these things, I'm like, well, you know what guys, you gotta give me a bit of a break. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Oh geez. So I, I, I wanted to ask, there's a, like one question I wanted to ask you and that's like, you are somebody who persevered and you are somebody that defied the odds in your hockey career. Like you, you were somebody as a smaller guy, you know, that got to junior hockey, didn't have the success right away, you know, coming from a small town in, in trail British Columbia that really had to work and persevere and have resiliency to got to where you got to. And in that moment, when you were going through your darkest time, whether it was right when it happened or, or right after you happened, right after it happened and you kind of knew what was going on, like how much did that let's call it resiliency muscle that you built up throughout your entire life, having to always defy the odds. How much do you think that led to you eventually beating this thing that was supposed to legitimately kill you and, and almost did and did, but somebody brought you back, you know, like how, how much of that, let's call it quote unquote training of, of persevering through those tough times do you think helped you to get through that? Well, um, I mean, I can honestly, you know, without, obviously without the medical care, um, you know, and, and the hands-on that I got, um, you know, I, I don't think no matter how resilient I was, it, it wouldn't have mattered. Um, I think where the resiliency really came in was, okay, they save your life and, and things are, but now, now it's like, okay, oh wow, now things are changing. Okay. So I, I, I think that, you know, that stuff that I had built up my whole life has, has definitely propelled me to get to, you know, where I am in life. Like, I mean, when I look back to where I was three years ago, right after this accident to now, um, it's, it's not even close. I mean, I remember thinking like, you know, oh man, like what's going to happen? Like, am I going to walk? You know, I've been wondering like, man, what's going to be like a walk again? You know, now, you know, I'm skating, you know? So like, it, it's, it's definitely, you know, that whatever you want to call it, that resiliency, um, you know, muscle that I've built over, over the years, I think as, has definitely allowed me to move on with my life and find a new purpose and to keep, 
you know, pushing ahead and having goals and dreams and, and not letting them die there, um, you know, on that hospital bed where, you know, I they figured out my career was over and I was losing my leg. It was kind of like, okay, yeah, this definitely sucks. And who knows what the heck is going to happen. And, um, and it was not like I woke up and I was all of a sudden like, oh, yeah, I'm going to do great. And, you know, it, it definitely had some bad days and had some bad months and some bad weeks. And there was, you know, but it, it, eventually in the end, I, I think, you know, it was it was a long term thought. Um, you know, for me to sit here and tell you like, oh, I didn't have bad days or I didn't have doubts at times. I 100% did. Um, I think just the resiliency that I've had was a, I was able to let go of those doubts fast enough that I that I could push on and move forward. Yeah, and I have to imagine like you know Jeff and I talk about this all the time on the podcast like hockey teaches you so many things that can help you in life. And, and that's the biggest reason why you play. I mean, some, <laughs> some parents are putting their kids in hockey now and living through them and think they need to get to the NHL at seven. But, you know, I think a vast majority of people would agree that like the, the things like the resiliency and the work ethic and being a teammate and all that kind of stuff, like that's what youth sports and that's what sports is all about. And do you feel like, you know, having the hockey background that you did learning all those things throughout your, uh, your career, did that kind kind of help you get through that injury and then help you to figure out what that next purpose was, uh, in, in the next phase of your life as well? Oh man, h- 110%. I mean, not even, yeah. I mean, obviously I was lucky enough uh, to grow up with a mother that loved me dearly and, and worked her, you know, her tail off every single day, every single day. I never saw her take a day off and, you know, she was relentless in, in, in helping our family get to where we need to be and to do whatever it took to, to make it, you know, to make it a good environment for us. So I, I think I had that foundation a little bit already because I was lucky enough to, to grow up in a situation like that where, where I saw it firsthand and I saw what it took, um, you know, just to raise three kids, you know, on our own. Um, and then the second part is, without a doubt, hockey. I mean, you're, it's such a privilege to be a part of this game and, and you meet so many great mentors and teammates and you learn so many great lessons along the way of ups and downs and trying to find, you know, different silver linings and, and always searching for for ways to get out of funks, you know, like, you know, you go through all these different situations. So, um, hundred percent. I mean, uh, like I said, uh, obviously I, I had the foundation already growing up and then, um, hockey just taught me it, um, on a higher, more extensive level. So, um, everything, you know, I can honestly say, as I know, this is a pretty bold statement. Um, but you know, everything in my life that I've got today is from the game of hockey. And, and I truly believe that I don't think that's a bold statement at all, man. I think I would wholeheartedly agree with that. Vex, you too? I mean, there's no doubt. I'm, I, <laughs> the only reason I'm on this planet still, for sure. Hockey taught me how to pivot. It taught me whatever. It got me into working out. That's basically all I do now. So, I mean, there's, there's no doubt that everything I learned from hockey and resiliency has put me in the position I'm in and able to, to give back to other people. Yeah, I, it's funny. Like, I... I the more I think about it, the older I get. Now I have two kids. And, and so it's funny, you go through your ups and downs during your hockey career. And you think like those are the ups and downs. And then life's just going to be simple after that. But it's like, there's, it, it's, it's, it's not like that, <laughs> you know, and, and oh, there's so man, many ups yeah. and downs and twists and turns and, and just so many different things. And, and it just, uh, that's why. And then even as coaches and, and you're working in the hockey development world now, like, I think the more that we can talk about like the life aspect of what being a hockey player is all about like the better the better coaches we're going to be because the more impact we're going to be having on on the players because as we all know like it's not just what you do on the ice from practice and during games that makes you a good hockey player it's all the other things it's taking care of yourself and uh, making sure you're mentally right and and all that kind of stuff like 
off the ice too. And, and, um, I don't know, is, is that something that really from your experience and with all this stuff that you've gone to, does that really energize you moving into this next path that you have getting into the hockey development, the scouting and, and some of the stuff that you've been doing and will be continuing to do here for the, for the foreseeable future? Uh, yes. I mean, that's, that's kind of, yeah, without a doubt. I mean, it's, I, I learned so many valuable things along the way. I, mean, I learned so, like, I mean, like, like you talk about, like I used to think, oh man, life, life is hard when you get called up. Uh, you know, I, when I, when I got picked up on waivers by, by Arizona, the farm team was still in Springfield, right? So Springfield, Massachusetts, and then you're flying to Arizona, um, you know, when you get called up. So used to get, you know, you get called up and you, you know, it takes 10 hours to get there because you got to go from Hartford and connect in Dallas and then get to Phoenix and probably play the next day. And, um, you know, I used to think every time I got, you know, sent down and I'm on that long flight back home or, or driving down the, oh, that's what's the highway from Providence to Boston again. You think I remember that, buddy? I've had 12 concussions <laughs> since I lived there. Is that 95? <laughs> it's, it's the one yeah, I got pulled over exactly eight times a year on and never got a <laughs> ticket because I would drop the Bruins bomb and they'd be like, oh, yeah, hey, go ahead. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I used to think that those are tough days, you know, like, oh, man, this sucks. I'm getting called up and then, uh, okay, great. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be here. And then, oh, man, you play one game, you're back down the Myers. And- I used to think like, oh, wow, man, this is hard, you know. Cause I'm like, well, guys, you're interesting. When the game passes you by and and you're looking for what's next, and, and life is throwing different hurdles at you, you know, whether it be with your family, whether it be with your health, whether it be with a job, whether it be finances, like then then you're gonna see what adversity is all about, man. It's adversity, you know, is somewhat, and you can feel sorry for yourself because you want to play in the National Hockey League, but um, you know, it only gets harder after that, so. Um, you know, you get dealing with those ups and downs and, and those tough flights and those tough drives where you, you know, kind of get into the mode of feeling sorry for yourself and, oh man, I thought I was this or that. Um, you know, it's, uh, just, just wait, just wait till the game passes you by and, and you're trying to figure out what's next, man. It's, uh, it's such a, such an incredible life that, that you get the privilege to live and, and incredible experiences and, um, all those ups and downs, I, I truly believe, uh, build, build an excellent foundation for resiliency in the rest of your life moving forward. A hundred percent. Can't even, I would love to just retweet that right now. Um, I would love to ask you, I would love to ask you a question that I don't know if we've asked anybody on this podcast before. So being a guy who was kind of up and down there, your last, uh, what was it like five years? I'm looking at here, four years here. Like, what is that conversation like after you get sent down? Cause, um, you know, we've talked to guys about, Oh, how was your first game and stuff like that. And you know, that's, that's always publicized. Like the guy's first game, the team plays a joke on him. He goes out there early for warmups. What is it like <laughs> after you get called up for a game or two? And then they call you in after, like, are you in your, are you in your stall in the locker room? And then you, you get a tap on your shoulder and you're like, Oh God, am I going down? And then what is that conversation <laughs> like? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 it happened to me, you know, a lot of times. So, I'm not, <laughs> Sorry. You know, not, not to say that in a negative way, man. I got the privilege to play in the NHL, and, and I was lucky to it. Um, but yeah, I had all different sorts of scenarios, man. I remember, I remember after I got called up the first time, we played at home um, against Calgary, and we practiced the next day, and the team was flying to Buffalo. So after the game, you know, I'm kind of waiting, like, oh, no one says anything. I'm like, oh, great, go back to my hotel, sleep. And still not, no call, no nothing. I'm like, oh, great. I'm going. So I go to practice, and I practice on, on the line. And um, the, the team's flying out to Buffalo that night and or right after practice that afternoon. And, oh, wow, this is great, man. And another day on the NHL roster. And this is going to be my first flight with the team. And, wow, this is going to be so cool. And then right after practice, I got unchanged. I, I was walking around the locker room. And I was like, oh, 
hey, Connie, uh, you know, Peter Shelley was the general manager at the time. Uh, Pete wants to talk to you. I'm like, oh, crap. <laughs> and you just know, you know, and it's like, hey, man, you know, you, you played well. And, um, you know, obviously the only reason I was called up was for an injury. The guy that got healthy is, is back and, and, you know, we're sending you down, you know. So it's, it's like talk about going from the biggest high in your life to an, you know, an astronomical low, um, was, was tough, you know, but now looking back, you know, at the time I kind of like kind of get pissed off, you know, you're like, Oh man, what the heck, you know, everyone thinks they're getting screwed at some point and blah, blah, blah. But, um, you know, it's, that's just the way the game works, man. It's so hard to iron a, you know, a, a spot in your, a spot in the lineup on a consistent basis for yourself, man. So it's, uh, anytime you get an opportunity, it is one thing I did learn is that, you know, your first opportunity might be your last one. So try and have no regrets, man. I, I, I truly believe that. Love that. That's huge. And that's, that goes every level for most players. You know, you, uh, something I learned from my injuries is that you never know when it could be your last game, your last goal, your last shift, you know, your last call up. I love that you just said that. And I hope for all the kids listening right now that you really take that to heart, like your first opportunity, very well could be your last and that doesn't mean you got to be afraid of it you got to embrace it you got to go balls to the wall you got to give everything you have to give yourself another day you know another week another game another 10 games another season that's that's great advice well and you know how it is that's like it's like you know you know there's 20 or so if you're a forward you know there's 13 or 14 other forwards sitting down in providence um you know that would just you know jump at the opportunity to get this opportunity right so like if you don't do it, somebody else will. I truly believe that, right? If you can't do it, somebody else will, right? So it's, it's people are always waiting. People are always looking for opportunity, right? And and when you're lucky enough to get that opportunity, man, you got to take advantage of it because um, the window of, you know, I guess the window to, to make it is it, so small, man. It's so small. And again, man, like we, like we talked about it, your first opportunity could be your last opportunity, right? And you don't want to have any regrets. So Anytime you get a chance, try and put the nerves out the window and just just everything that you've built for your foundation, put it all on display, and, and that's how you earn a job. Totally. Be in that present moment, you know. It's it's such a hard thing to do, especially when you're playing professional sports because there's so many freaking things that are outside of your control. As you mentioned, the injuries. <laughs> what what day, what what kind of game are you playing when the assistant GM is there? <laughs> like, are you playing your best game or are you playing your worst game, you know, type stuff. And uh, there's just so much out of your control. But if you can just be in the present moment and, and you can – just enjoy it and focus on the here and now it's God, like just human nature is so easy to just like beat yourself up about past stuff or just worrying about stuff that hasn't happened yet. Worrying about things in your control. Is that something like even in your recovery from your injury, but also in your hockey career and and in your career outside of hockey now, is that something that you're trying to focus on a little bit more with all the other crap going on outside of hockey? Yeah. I mean, a hundred percent, man. It's like, you just, you, you you just control what you can control, man. What can you control? You can control your work ethic and control how good of a person you are. You know, like there's, there's so many things that are going on in the world. It's just like, you've got to, you know, like it's like such so, so, so cliche, right? Control, you can control, but like you, you truly are in control of, you know, how you are on, on a daily basis with your mood, right? How good of a teammate you are and how hard you work. Right. And, like to me that you're in control of that. And I, I honestly think a, a third thing that you're, you know, that gets talked about a lot that I truly believe you're in control of is your, is confidence. Right. Everyone talks about confidence and this and that and, you know, different ways. But I, I, I'm a huge believer that like you, you know, no one can make you confident, you know, like you, you make yourself confident, right. There's, there's like, you know, whatever way you, you go about it, but you're, you're truly 
you know, it's your job. It's not somebody else's job to, to make the world a better place for yourself or to make an environment more comfortable, you know, like hopefully you have people along the way that you cross paths with that do, but man, it, it's up to you to, to, you know, make the best career for yourself, to make the best life for yourself, for you and your family, right? It's, I, I truly believe that we rely on other people so much to give us knowledge or to help us with our confidence, help us with this. But when we're really, you know, we're in the driver's seat of all those things and, and we can, you know, control them. Well, Cunny, it's uh, it's pretty it's pretty clear just from hearing you talk here for the last forty minutes or so that you're getting into the right business, ge- being going into hockey development. <laughs> you're going to help so many freaking kids coming up with uh, with all the stuff that you're talking about right now, and and so I want to have a little bit of a discussion with you about hockey development because you've done it at the pro level now, gotten the chance to work with some professional players, and you know you're doing a, a couple awesome things on the side too. Like, what is it about hockey development that you think needs to be really emphasized? sized when you're working with players in today's day and age you know maybe like give me a couple things from a mindset standpoint that you really like to hammer in on with these kids coming up and then just like a couple skill things i know it could be different for each guy and everybody's their own individual but like a couple standards that you think are really important in terms of mindset and in terms of on ice play as well yeah i I think mindset is is that you are in control you know you're in control of your of your future man like yeah, you know, you might run into, you know, a bad coach or a bad this or that along the way, but, like, you're in control, right? And and, and, and a lot of times I tell guys, right, like, a lot of times you have, oh, coach isn't playing me or I'm not getting this, blah, blah, blah. It's just like, well, what have you done to earn that? You know, it's not like you've earned it and then the coach just doesn't like you taking away. Like, the coach usually, unless you're in the NHL, wants to move up levels too, right? So the coaches want to play, put the players on the ice. He thinks they're best going to help them win. Like, I don't know any coach that, you know, just doesn't play his best players, um, you know, just because he doesn't like them. Like, that's just not the way it is. Right. Like, it's like, I, I'm a true believer that like you earn everything you get, man. And, and, and if you're having a, you know, maybe you're going through a, a tough time and, and, you know, you get bumped off the power play or you get bumped down in the lineup. It's like, well, okay, you're on the third or the fourth line. Well, what are you doing in that, on that, in that role now that is going to please the coach and put, get him to put you back in the top six. Right. Like, it's, it's you're really in control of, of your future and, and, and how, you know, coaches treat you, I guess, is the best way to put it. Like, I, again, I, I can't name a coach that I've ever played for or seen, you know, n- you know, not play a guy because he works so hard and he competes and he does the right things all the time. Like, it just doesn't happen, right? Like, I mean, you're a coach. You, like, what do you think, right? Like, it's just like, you know, let, let, let's be honest with ourselves and evaluate ourselves first and, and be as honest and hard on ourselves as possible and then if we are, and then we still think we're getting, you know, the short on the stick, well, then maybe we take it up with the coach. But um, that's what I believe anyways. Hopefully you got any comments on that. I'm sure in the coaching world you, you deal with that all the time. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and I think what you even said before about confidence is so important to it. Like you earn your confidence. Like I had a coach tell me once, like you can't just go to Target and go to aisle five and say, hey, I'd, I'd like a box of confidence here today. And you just get it like you earn <laughs> your confidence based upon your daily actions of, of what you do and building your habits. And when you do that, you're going to have more success. And, and if you don't, then you just go back to the drawing board and continue with the habits that you've you've already instilled. And so, yeah, just the, the controlling what you can control part of it. And I agree with you. It's so funny. I talk to players about it, too, like especially ones that come into the office and, and you know, talk about this guy's do you think i'm like 
I'm not trying to screw you here. Like no coach ever tries to screw their, I'm actually, I shouldn't say that because I'm sure there have been some, you know, but, but for the most part, the vast majority of coaches, like you said, they want to win and they want to do what's best for the team. And sometimes that doesn't align with what a player's, what a player's goals individually are. Um, but then it's important that the coach has that honest and direct communication, like you said. And, uh, and, and I think that's what all high level players want. They just want somebody that's tough and fair. They're okay with the tough if they're fair and they're honest and upfront, you know, it's the guys that play the mind games. It's the guys who, um, you know, do behind the scenes stuff, uh, that, that it just doesn't work. So I just think from the player side of it, controlling what you can control. And then from the coach's side of it, just always understanding that players, they're okay with you being honest with them as long as you're fair, you know? Yeah. And yeah. that's and, just... and, and another thing is if the coach doesn't like you, well then make him like you do something that's out of the ordinary yeah. that, you know, you're going to get some money in the bank for the coach, right? We're like, wow, holy man, does he could be hard practice every day or man, is he on the first guy to the rink every day or holy man, he puts extra time in after practice, right? Like, like find a way to, to be a coach pleaser. And I'm not saying like be a kiss ass. I'm saying to please the coach, in, in, in a way that, you know, that, that is a respectful way that is not a, um, you know, a kiss ass type way, right. Where, you know, you don't want to lose respect to teams, but if that's you and that's how you operate, like do something that is going to make the coach maybe think, Oh man, maybe I had a bad beat on this guy. Maybe my reading was wrong. Uh, and even go and talk to him. Like, coach's job is to coach. So like, I don't know any coach really that hated coaching and was still doing it, especially at the higher levels. So like anytime a player comes to me, whether it's in the gym and with my training company or like when I was coaching even youth, then they'd be like, you know, how can I, how can I score more goals, Jeff? Or like, what do I need to do to be better? Like instantly I'm like, yes, now I'm more invested in you because you're more invested yeah. in yourself. And I love that. And it, it reminds me something that of all people of the hunt over a hundred and whatever, 15, 20 episodes we've had on with hall of famers and NHL coaches, college coaches, the guy who said something like so, so simple, but profound was Cam Jansen, the biggest meat of all time. And he was like, every single thing that happened to me in my career was because of me bad or good. He's like, coach didn't like me. No, no, I must've done something. And that's how you got to think. Like you got to look in the mirror. You never point fingers, always bring it back to the mirror. Always look in the mirror and be like, what did I do? What could I be doing? What am I not doing? What am I doing? Well, and just keep looking in the mirror day after day. And you have to be honest with yourself. You have to be brutally honest with yourself. And that will make such a big difference because it's always the guys who, Oh, I'm getting screwed. Oh, you know, this coach doesn't like me. Why am I not on the first line? I'm on the second line. Why am I on the second power play? Shut the front door and figure it out and work harder. Point thumbs. Like I hate those guys. (laughs) Well, I mean, and even at a higher level, right? Like, okay. So you're in the American hockey league, right? You think like, Oh, you're getting screwed or they're, you know, you're not getting called up. You deserve to get called up. Well, Here's the thing that I didn't necessarily realize when I was playing. Well, every night that you're playing, there's 15 other scouts in the building from other organizations. So if you are that good of a player and you feel like you're kind of pigeonholed in the organization that you're in, well, there's 30 other teams that are out there that are watching you on a daily basis that if they think you can play, they'll trade for it. Okay. It's not like, you know, it's not like you're smarter than every other scout coach in, in, in the league that you know, <laughs> people are, there's eyes on you all the time. Right. So like, you know, if you are getting pigeonholed in an organization, well, don't, 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 uh, you know, put your worst foot forward. Don't, you know, put, 
minimal effort and don't have bad body language, right? Because there's, like I said, there's there's evaluators there every single night from other teams that are watching you and that are looking to improve their team. And if you're a fit with them, now maybe that helps you. But with the body language and the effort level, like that stuff that, you know, you just, you can't get by that stuff when it comes to trying to, hey, I'm going to go to the GM and say, man, we really need to get this guy, right? Like if I'm doing that, I've done all my homework on him. I have done all my homework on him and, and I know he's a good person. I know he works hard. I know he's a culture guy, right? It's not like, you know, it's like you, you can't trick anyone anymore. There's too much information out there. There's too many platforms out there. It's just like, you know, nothing now is a surprise or it shouldn't be, right? It's like everything's on display all the time. We're constantly gathering information. Like I couldn't believe when you get into the scouting world and stuff, like how much like character and, and background checks and gathering information is half the job. The, the other half of the job is watching the players and evaluating. The other 50% is, is all the character checks, all the background checks, right? And to make sure that you've got everything on your list checked off so that when I go to the GM and say, hey, I think this guy's a fit for us, I know he's a fit for us in all the different ways. We're not going to get him in all of a sudden, like, oh, this guy's a bad teammate. Oh, man, this guy's practice habits are horrible. It's like, I've done my homework on him. And, you know, sometimes we're wrong, right? Sometimes we get information that's like, oh, man, we're wrong on it. But it can honestly say, well, I, I didn't leave any rock unturned on this guy, and unfortunately, um, you know, I had a I had a bad beat on. Yeah, the one of the things. So I read a book. It was called The Cubs Way. It was uh, written about Theo Epstein, and uh, he talked about it was a he called it a change of scenery uh, trade, a change of scenery trade yeah. where again you have so many different evaluations on uh on all these different people and and you know it, it goes the other way too where you can maybe see that somebody's really talented and you really like them from a talent standpoint before and you know then you have their scout that's going on to watching you play and they they're seeing you compete they're seeing you play hard they're seeing you have good body language and all that kind of stuff that's where you you talk about the change of scenery can come in because that scout can go back to the myriads and myriads of notes from the hundreds of games that the scouts of that team has watched you play before and talk about oh actually this person we think he's a really good hockey player he's just not the right fit for whatever roster they're on right now and then you get traded and then all of a sudden you get put in the right role and it just clicks better and and that's why it's so important to we used to call it a b game when we were scouting because you could see like the the you know the hockey sense and the the skill and and making plays and all that kind of stuff but if you didn't have that competitive spirit and you didn't have that passion and stuff like we'd write you off right away um, so having that B yeah. game is so, so important to, to getting to where you want to go to the next level, because that B game is the one that really can translate to, to different levels. You can always work hard. Um, and it's just, uh, that change of scenery, like it made me think a lot about pro hockey and how, you know, sometimes you have really good players that just, it's not the right fit and that's okay. Whether it's the coach, whether it's yeah. the line mates he has, whatever. But if you're working hard, you're going to give yourself more opportunity to get picked up by somebody else um, at the end of the day, because they've seen you be a good hockey player before that in junior hockey or college hockey or whatever. Yeah. Well, I mean, how many hundred point guys in junior are now fourth line, you know, eight minutes a night, penalty kill big face off guys in the NHL, right? A lot like, of them. It's, it's crazy, right? Like it's, that was a big thing for me, man, is like, that is where I learned, you know, my, when I struggled early in my junior career, I learned, you know, you call it a B game. I call it a backup game, right? I learned how to play with energy. I learned how to finish checks. I learned how to, you know, be a thorn on the side of guys on face off. Like I learned how to contribute in other ways rather than just the score sheet. And then obviously as I, you know, got older and more mature in junior, I became, you know, more of an offensive player and, and, and had some really good offensive years. And then, you know, when I got called up to the National Hockey League, it, it wasn't, they weren't calling me up to play me on the second power play and score goals. You know, even though I had, 
you know, 20 goal seasons in the American League. They were calling me up to play on the fourth line to give them safe minutes to, to win face-offs, to play on the penalty kill, right? So, like, you know, you want to call it a B game, a backup game, a Swiss Army knife. Like, it's so important to do that. And, um, you know, I can also, like, going down that road is, like, multi-positions, right? Can you play center? Can you play wing, right? Can you play right wing? Can you play left wing? Can you kill penalties, right? Like, it's like the more tools you can add in your toolkit, you know, when it comes for a call-up, you can be in the conversation for all the different you know, decisions. Okay. We need uh, a guy that can win face off and kill penalties. Okay. Well, this guy's our top goal scorer down there and he, he's in a place in offensive role, but we know we can do that. Okay. Now you're in that conversation. If you didn't have that B game or that backup game, you're not even in the call up conversation anymore. Right. It's like, well, you know, he just doesn't fit in this role that we need. For sure. And that's why I think it's so important for coaches at the youth levels, the junior levels, and all the way on up. Like, don't let your best players slide when it comes to that that B game, backup game, whatever you want to call it. Because you're doing them such a disservice if you're just kind of letting them be an offensive player and not teaching them anything else just because they're putting points up on the board. Like, that that's not necessarily going to translate and that might not be the role for them once they get to higher levels of hockey. So the more that youth coaches let their best players slide on the compete level and the effort level and, and, and all of that kind of stuff playing good defensively, like you're just, you're, you might be thinking that you're letting them play and that's the right thing. But at the same time, like you're, you're diminishing their well-roundedness of their game, which is going to provide them less opportunities at the next level, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I mean, 100%. I mean, if I didn't have that foundation of the backup game or the B game that I learned in junior, I, I, I'm not sure, um, you know, I would have gotten an opportunity to, to play single NHL game. I, I, I truly believe that. I, I just, you know, the guys that can, you know, adapt to the environment they put in, right? How, well, how do you adapt to the environment you put in? Well, it's, you've got a foundation that you, you can, you know, bleed into a different, a couple of different areas, right? And then you can put all those things together and like I said, man, when the opportunity comes, it's you're in all the conversations rather than just the specific ones for that specific call up. For sure. What if you only have a B game, guys? Asking for a friend. <laughs> <laughs> you better be a great teammate and uh, not like to wear shirts and you know all that. I don't know. Don't you give yourself a little bit of credit? You scored what twenty five goals one year in college. I uh, know. It's I, not I, terrible. I scored nineteen. Not a big deal. <clears throat> <laughs> Good stuff. Well, Cuddy, before we let you go, wanted to ask you because we've had uh, a, a good friend of the podcast, one of the few repeat guests, Robbie Shrimp, on uh, talking about the cool things that he has going on with 44 Vision Hockey. And I know that's something that you signed on to start helping out with as well. And, you know, just from this conversations, from this conversation, I think our listeners are going to understand how awesome of a mentor you can be. So, like, how, how excited are you to, to work with Shrimpy with some of the stuff he's got going on with 44 Hockey? And, and, uh, what kind of things are you looking to help instill in some of these kids through that uh, platform? Yeah. I mean, I, I think if you, I mean, you watch it, like everyone's doing the game now, right? You watch Tampa Bay, right? Their best players, Braden Point, Nikki Kutrup. What are they doing after every single shift while they're watching on the iPad, right? They're looking at things, right? So like it's, it, to me, it's, it, it's been, it's been great, man. You're getting to work with these kids that, that, you know, they want to get better, right? They're dialed in, they want to improve. And, um, you know, to get the, you know, the opportunity I, I played against Shrimpy, but, but didn't know him personally, um, get to know him and to, to see his inside of the game and see the game, you know, offensively through a lens from him is, has been, has been awesome. So, um, just been a, a, a great opportunity and I, I've really enjoyed it, man. I got a huge passion for, for development and, and helping players. And, um, it's been, it's been a lot of fun. It's, uh, you get all different, uh, 
walks of life and, and, and different, um, you know, the, the kids are all different, right? Like some guys you can be hard on some guys you can't, you know, like I'm, I'm getting my first dose of, of coaching the person, right. And, and figure out how to get through to that specific person. So, um, it, it's been a lot of fun. And, and like I said, man, any different opportunity again to, to get back to the game. And, and, uh, as we go, you know, as we move ahead here with technology and stuff, right. Like my, my big thing is I like to tell guys, well, like if you're not doing it, somebody else is right. And, and that's kind of the, the attitude that I've got, uh, walking into this stuff. I love that. And I say that to the kids that I, even the pros and NHL guys, I'm like, you know, you're not obviously right now is a super hard time. Like they don't know when they're going to start. So it's hard to like peak and stuff like that. And I'm like, I'm telling you, I'm talking to other strength coaches, skill coaches around the league. If you're not doing it, I know other guys are like, somebody's going to be ready. And like you said, there's other guys in the affiliate system that are wanting to take your job. So whenever camp starts, whether you're playing juniors or college or NHL, AHL right now, there's guys out there who are going to be doing it, who are going to be putting the work, who are going to stay diligent and stay dedicated. So don't be surprised when it comes around, if you haven't been putting in the work that you might get passed over, you might get hooped. But uh, for everybody, anybody listening to the, this episode that hasn't listened to Robbie Shrimp's last episode with us, where he went over what 44 vision is, if you don't mind, uh, tell the listeners what type of thing you're doing with them. Yeah, so it's it's uh, basically it's individual coaching, right? It's individual development. So if I'm watching, you know, Jeff Levecchio comes to me and says, "Hey, you know, I'd like to work with you. We'll set up a, a, a consultation. I'll get to know you. I'll ask you about strengths and weaknesses in your game, um, and then uh, I'll comb through clips, right? So like if you know we want to work on uh, wall play in your own zone, right? Well, I'll, I'll I'll cut all your 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 clips of you on the wall, right? And I'll show you different ways that you can you know set yourself up to to make these plays easier on yourself, right? Or I can analyze your play in the offensive zone, right? Your shot selection, your puck retrievals, any of that stuff. So it's like you know there's so many great coaches in this game, and 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 you know there's so much to do now with pre scouts and and systems, and you know trying to get the upper hand when it comes to you know just the the, the team system, right? It's like well, sometimes some individual stuff gets gets a little bit lost in, in 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 the shuffle, right? Because you only got so many hours in a day. So to me, this is an opportunity to to take your own development uh, into your own hands, right? And to hire um, a, a third party, sorry, a third party, right? Someone that's not biased, someone that's not talking about wins and losses. They're just talking about you and your game and and how they you know they think that or how we can help you maximize exactly what you do and and hopefully uh, propel you to the next level. It's amazing. It's amazing. And uh, any of the kids that uh, are lucky enough to work with you guys, and I know there's yeah, obviously you're working there in Shrempy, but the, the roster of people that you guys have put together is, is pretty incredible from the men's side and the women's side too. So, um, I've, well, geez, like if anybody listens to this episode and you're not calling 44 to work with Cunny here right now. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Daggers. Throwing it or listeners. I don't know if that's how you get more listeners, though, like throwing daggers at our listeners. Yeah, I know. That was a little harsh. That was a little harsh. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm fired up right now just listening. So, uh, well, Cody, thanks so much, man, for uh, for coming on the podcast and sharing your journey and, and talking some hockey with us. Uh, I think it's going to go a long way um, in, in so many different ways from a hockey side of things, from from a resiliency and perseverance side of things as well. And, and so we wish you nothing but the best of luck in your next step. Glad you're staying in the game of hockey. And if there's anything that we can do to help you out in the future, please don't hesitate to let us know. Awesome guys, Re- really appreciate it, and, and uh, you know, nice, nice to uh, to get on and talk hockey, man. Uh, I sure miss the game, and and I miss you know being part of a team, and 
Um, you know, even just say, I don't necessarily know the two of you, but just kind of getting on here and shoot the shit with each other kind of feels like you're back in the locker room again. So, so thanks a lot for the opportunity. Thank you, sir. Take care, man. Yeah. Be good. Bye.